So what do we know about intelligence? In the 1960s, behaviourists studied animal behaviour in what they then regarded as controlled laboratory conditions. Rats were placed in boxes or mazes and their behaviour was measured in terms of conditioned responses. Rats would be conditioned to press a lever for a food reward. It made an assumption that learning was either reward or aversion-based. This approach appeared more scientific because it was controlled. It is odd that, in one sense, it looked at an organism as being conditioned by its environment and yet ignored its interaction with the environment. You take a rat and put it into a laboratory under controlled conditions. Other variables could be excluded or held constant, in large part because the animals had been taken out of their rich physical and social environment. It assumed that this rich environment played little part in the development of animal behaviour other than in the sense of conditioning the animal's behaviour. Crucially, it could also ignore any debate about purposeful behaviour or animal thought. It fitted the notion of animals as automata, albeit sophisticated ones, organisms conditioned by their environment. All behaviour, no matter how complex, could be reduced to a simple stimulus-response association. This approach to behaviour began with John Watson, who said in a paper published in 1913, Psychology, as a behaviourist views it, is a purely objective experimental branch of natural science. Its theoretical goal is prediction and control. The endeavour was to learn the mechanics of behaviour in order to control it. Or as B.F. Skinner put it in 1971, what we need is a technology of behaviour. Like any other machinery, it will have its inputs and outputs associated with them. It regards animals as automata. The results of these studies found their way into education paradigms, but they ignored the rich context of an organism's natural environment, both physically and social. It makes an assumption that intelligence can be stripped down to a core biogenic nature. The concept of innate intelligence. Intelligence that can be measured in a box. This has its ultimate expression in the gene-centred view for intelligence. The idea of intelligence genes. Yet intelligence is neither static nor an isolated state. It is a dynamic, interactive process. Intelligence is a complex engagement, and for social organisms, it is also a cultural and social process. The behaviour and function of organisms cannot be understood in isolation from their environment or their social being. Behaviour is contextual and adaptive, we tend 
to compartmentalise the environment as if it was a box in which organisms exist, a bit like a container from which we can remove an individual and study them in isolation. This leads to the erroneous division of causality. We talk of environmental causes outside the organism as distinct from inherent causes inside the organism. No doubt this has some value, but it is a simplistic and misleading dichotomy. If organisms are killed in a bushfire, then clearly an extraneous cause of their demise is perhaps beyond question. The organism died as a result of events external to the organism, but organisms are not completely separated from their environment. Organisms do not simply exist within an environment like toys in a box. They are an integral part of the environment, both for themselves and for other organisms. And there is a causal interdependency. They are an integral part of their environment. They develop as part of it. They adapt to it and they respond with it and interact with it. Organisms also, in large part, create their niche. They don't simply occupy it. This is what we mean by an ecosystem. A forest doesn't just provide an environment for organisms living within it. The forest is more than the trees. A forest is an intimate and complex relationship of organisms, big and small. It is an organic entity, and a true understanding of behaviour needs to take account of this intimacy. Any measure of intelligence must surely take account of the way it functions in this process. From little acorns, tall oak trees grow. But the spread of the forest depends in large part on small mice and other rodents living in the undergrowth. The undergrowth is in large part created from leaf litter dropped by the trees. Small rodents play a key role in tree seed dispersion. This is particularly so for rodents such as wood mice because they cache their food. The mice not only disperse the seed, they plant it too. In this sense, the wood mice are as vital as bees and other insects in the maintenance and spread of the forest. All good gardeners would encourage insects and worms because they understand this intimate interdependency. It is in this sense that an ecosystem functions as an entity. We cannot understand the forest by simply looking at the trees. In the forest ecosystem, the wood mouse, Epodimus sylvaticus, plays a role in seed dispersion, but also as prey for birds, reptiles and other mammals. In the Mediterranean forests of the Iberian Peninsula, for example, the wood mouse plays a crucial role in oak regeneration patterns. These roles are perhaps incidental to the life of the wood mouse, yet they are integral to the ecosystem of which they are a part. 
along with other organisms. The trees produce leaves which fall to create leaf litter, which creates cover in turn for wood mice and other species. Sometimes we can't see the wood for the trees. Little wonder then that the abundance of wood mice depends critically on seasonal factors. And a recent study showed that one such factor is summer droughts. As with other small rodents, high reproductive rates allow a rapid population recovery and populations will fluctuate from season to season. The abundance of females is dependent in turn on acorn abundance. Such is the intimate interrelationships of the ecosystem. The behaviour of wood mice can only be understood fully in the context of this ecosystem. Wood mice exhibit broad plasticity in their behaviour, modifying their diet depending on the most abundant food source such as fleshy fruits, fresh plant parts and even invertebrates. Their behaviour is also influenced by population density. Males and females exhibit different behavioural responses. Few of these can be seen in isolation and can only be fully understood in context. We often forget that we humans are also like the wood mice, interdependent on and with our environment. The wood mice may not know of its role in maintaining the forest, but we humans clearly do know our potential for destroying it. Forests are a big deal for us too, and not least because they sequester and store carbon. They provide timber and other forest products, and they are vital to the survival of many of the world's poorest people who live in and around forests. We cannot understand economics and the consequences of economic decisions without taking account of this interdependency. One of the problems for humans, and for the planet, is that we have isolated ourselves from our ecosystem. Yet our activity impacts on the global climate and on habitats. Unlike the wood mouse, we destroy more of our forests than we plant. And we deplete the world's fresh water with our increasing demand for crops and our unregulated world trade. Is this really the best we can do with our intelligence? Or have we much to learn from the wood mouse?